Welcome to another episode of the Comfort Monk Podcast. This is a, you know, a brisk evening on the porch here at Eddie's, which is, I guess, where we record the grand majority of these. But today we got a a couple of guests on the show, good friends of ours, Cameron Gardner and Dylan Lee, who have uh, played music together for years. Um, They started out playing together in a band called The Heist and the Accomplice, which was fronted by their friend Chaz Bundick who has later gone on to do Toro Imo and it's just extremely successful hometown uh, heroes absolutely um and yeah i think that the cool thing about this podcast is or just really just having any podcast where you can chat with people is just getting a an excuse to really dive in and uh kind of learn more about the people even if you've if you've known them prior to the show and this is definitely an example of that i mean i've i've known these guys for a while now but i feel like i was really able to learn a lot about them um chatting with them for this which has been cool because you know they had that long history playing together when they were kids playing with heist and and you know just being in the same town but they've spent years on the road together playing with washed out um and they've got to see the world together so it was really cool to hear a little bit more about all that because really for for the grand majority of the time that they've been in that project you know all of us to see them when they would pop back into town they were touring so often but it's cool that i guess maybe that's one of the silver linings of being stuck at home right now is just there's a little more time to reminisce uh of course everybody's feeling a little nostalgic but it was awesome having them on the show and yeah I appreciated it. I think you guys are going to dig it. Oh, yeah. Enjoy. Uh, thinking, you know, for me, the obvious like point when you two kind of linked up, meaning Cameron and Dylan, not you and Keith, but uh, <laughs> or the band U two, yeah, or the band U two, when Bono and the Edge linked up was about, <laughs> but uh, but it seemed like you guys started like really getting to know each other musically through Heist, but did you guys mm-hmm. know each other be- before then? Were you friends already? Or no, not at all. Band? No. We met. We met at my mom's house on the first day of high band practice. So, mm-hmm. who was the common thread? Was it Patrick or Chaz? Somebody knew Chris Gardner, Cameron's older brother. I don't really yeah. remember. I think like knowing Jose. Chris, Aaron, and Jordan. Oh, right. Thomas's band. They would play with uh, the Taxi Chaps, which was Chaz and Patrick's previous band. And that was sort of, I guess, coming to an end. And from the way I understand it, it was like they were looking for a drummer when they had started playing with Dylan to make like more of a folky thing and had heard that Chris's little brother had a drum set. And then that mm-hmm. was me. <laughs> um, and then I played a lot more loud than 
they anticipated and ruined everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Cameron, you'd been playing a little bit like with other random projects before then, right? Not really. I I mean, I played with, um, oddly enough, uh, so Chaz's wife, Samantha, um, her younger brothers, uh, we're, we were pretty much the same age and they lived like two doors down from me growing up. And so we would play together a lot, but the heist was like the first real band I was ever a part of. I, th- I mean, I played like, a some, like a battle of the bands thing with, uh, some people from my high school, but I would not call that really call that a band. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like we're talking so early on that like what qualifies it being a band in my mind is just like, did you have a group of people that came up with a band name or close or like jammed once? You know what I mean? Like at that point, it's right. These are all like stepping stones to the the first like active band, I guess. But uh, yeah, it's always kind of funny to hear about like those attempts at assembling something before something that actually clicked and made any sense, you know? Right. Dylan, were you, um, were you playing around with anybody before you were playing with those guys? Um, no, I guess not. I guess that's when I started, like, uh, playing with other people at all, really. Well, and to be fair, we were 14, so... Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I never really thought about that. That's the first time I, like, I just had played just in my room, you know, Jimi Hendrix stuff until all of them, until Cameron and Chaz and Patrick. Yeah. Yeah, I've always kind of wondered that about you guys. Like, Cameron, were you, I mean, since Chris was already playing music, I assume, at the point that you picked up a drum kit, I mean, we did he like noodle with you at the house or was it kind of two separate worlds? Cause you were a kid brother at the time. It was, it was a little bit more two separate worlds, but, um, when I really like started getting serious and like probably got not serious, but like caring when I got into high more. school, like, yeah, caring about it more. <laughs> um, we, I mean like he, it was a little bit more like he acknowledged it, but he was also Chris's five years older than me, five plus years older than me. So by the time, like I was, you know, even old enough to be able to play drums proficiently and like go out and play. Chris had moved to Pennsylvania for school. And so like it, we didn't play together for like a really long time. Like, I don't think we played together until, um, I mean, I was in college, maybe, like, and he had moved back. Yeah, I guess. Um, was so, unfortunately, we didn't have that, like, brother bond, like, rhythm section thing growing up. Right, I guess. Well, I mean, at least you made up for lost time and saw the world playing music together eventually, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but do you, do you guys remember, this is, like, going to require some digging, but, like, do you remember when you first got excited about the idea of picking up drums and for you picking up a guitar, Dylan? Uh, 
Like very first time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what? What made you uh, notice it? You know. Uh, I don't really know. I guess I was like when I was super little, I would wear like costumes and stuff. And I I seen pictures like with me having like little acoustic toy acoustic guitars. Like I've always just sort of had one around. I don't know. I got one when I was five. I got my first electric guitar. And then I saw Jimi Hendrix something when I was like in the fifth grade. And that was really it. And then since then, I've just been playing like bluesy stuff. Really, since then. So was And I was in, I mean, I... Huh? I was just going to say, with that guitar that you got when you were five, was it like more so like a toy that you were playing with? Or did you already... Do you feel like when you were really, really little like that, that you had some sort of interest in mm-hmm. actually trying to figure it out, or were you just banging around? Oh, no, that was, when I was five, I got, like, a Gretsch, like, toy guitar with a speaker built in it, you know? Oh, nice. And so I played the E string. Once I put a battery in, it sounded like electric guitar. I was like, oh, so then I learned how to play, like, electric guitar core like bar chords and stuff right mm. so and what about you Cameron when did you first get your hands on a drum kit I um my cousin I think I one year for Christmas when I was like eight or nine I got like a hand-me-down um like just really cheap drum kit that I think ended up getting trashed at some point but then i would say like probably around like seventh or eighth grade whatever age that makes you i started like piecing something together and like getting a little bit more serious and i think my freshman year of high school is when i asked my parents like oh can i get a drum set for christmas it was it was one of those things it was the first time like you know, like I would always come to my parents with this, like, "Hey, can I get like a a moped for Christmas or some like large item?" And I was, I kind of remember thinking, like, oh, "No way, I'm actually gonna get a drum kit." But sure, shit, and they pulled through. You <laughs> can't say that. Can we curse? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, Dylan. Speak your mind. <laughs> Do you remember what the drum okay. kit was? What what kind of kit was it? It's a. Uh, um, the first one I ever had was like a CB kit, like super, super cheap. Um, but the first, like my first drum set that was like a full thing was a Mapex V series. And I actually, I, the snare drum is, I mean, it's not a nice drum set at all, but I toured with that snare drum up until like, like the last washed out album cycle. I was still using that as like a secondary snare. <laughs> and it's, it didn't sound good, but it was like, I don't know, whatever. It's all that stuff is being processed so much that it doesn't really matter. Yeah, and you could spruce it up, make a little, make it sound a little better than it naturally does. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a drum. It's like as long as you have a decent head on it and tune it right. some way, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Dylan, what was the what was the first guitar you like got that was actually like playable, not just the the toy guitar. The first like white strat I got probably like in high school or, or middle school sometime. 
I got like a Fender standard Strat in probably like the seventh grade or something like that. And that was when I started to play like bendy single notes, you know? Yeah. Was the Strat inspired by Jimmy? Mm-hmm, yeah. Classic. Yeah, just a white, like, Woodstock Strat. Yeah, I don't know if you still had that, but did you have that at all at the point that we've known each other? No, no. I I had, like, a couple... My first couple guitars were, like, two or three standard white Strats, you know? And then eventually, I Cameron's neighbor Thomas had another white standard strat that I ended up like rebuilding essentially and that's the guitar I had it's nice. got like a nicer neck and better pickups but it's that same white strat that I eventually spray painted gold okay gotcha but I had that one like all the way up until I was playing with Cameron and washed out and that, that's and then, the one that's uh, it's Cameron's now, right? The gold mm-hmm. one. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Right here. Goldie. <laughs> that's that's awesome. the one that like is my like all my cutting my teeth like playing shows with that one. I didn't stop playing that one until like two thousand seventeen or so, probably. Is the uh that that fifties reissue or, or whatever the strat that Sunburst colored is that your kind of go to? Mm-hmm. Well, that I have, I finally found a somewhat affordable, somewhat vintage Strat. It's like a that seventy six or so that I have, and it's it's the best one. That's my guitar one, right man. now. Yeah, I don't think it's like sort of light bluish white. Oh, yeah. After I got that one, I'm like, that's, you know, the one until I can afford it older than that, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, if you have a one that's that old that's still playing good, it's kind of hard to beat. <laughs> well, yeah, it's just amazing. Speaking of cutting your teeth, I guess I want to kind of like, because I wasn't there for any of the high stuff, you know? I, I moved to Columbia, like, right at the tail end of all that. I... I managed to hear mm. about you guys when I was in, before I moved to Columbia, so it wasn't like mm-hmm. completely off my radar, but I never saw it, any of the shows or anything like that, but, so you said you guys were like 14 and 15 when you started doing that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And were you guys touring when you were in high school, or at least like playing some out-of-town gigs, or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, mean, uh, I We definitely like... I when say, was that like, we started doing those summer tours, Cameron? I think the, the we were probably summer juniors. After, I was gonna say I think it was like the summer after sophomore year, we started traveling around at least a little bit, and then I know like of high school, right? Yeah, and then, I guess so. With those those Jan and Paul's my parents' trucks. Yeah, well, I, I guess the big one. Yeah, shit, because Chaz had to drive past six o'clock like right there was years where it's like we'd play shows and Chaz and Patrick would be responsible for getting us from the northeast side to downtown and yeah. back and like have we to couldn't drop drive. us off because yeah we I guess we were like even when we could drive we couldn't drive past is it six o'clock is that right whatever yeah, like, like, like 
Right. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, yeah, that's nuts. Yeah, I, I remember. But I think that's like pretty, pretty wild when you can't even get yourself to the gig. I think it's uh, right. But if you were, yeah, it was just annoying. If you say that you got your first like real drum kit at the end of high school, were you like still playing the the starter kit? Or? Oh no, I'm sorry. That was the beginning of high school. My freshman year is when oh, I got like a first. Okay. Like, For some reason, I thought you said senior year, but. My bad. That makes a lot more sense. No, I think I just misheard you. But, yeah, man, uh, so you guys, like, how far away did you really get when you were doing those summer tours? Like, what's the furthest spot you got to? We went up to, like, Boston. Canada. No, we never went to Canada, did we? No. No, I'm sorry. That's not Um, right. I think the furthest north we went was Boston. New York. Yeah, Boston. Yeah. We would just go up and down the East Coast, but like we did it like two or three times. But I distinctly remember like being in New York as like a 16 year old with only like the most responsible people being Chaz and Patrick, who were, I guess, 18 or something. <laughs> it's like looking back on it, like, I don't know how the hell we convinced our parents to let us oh borrow their truck and drive around the country for two weeks or whatever they had like, like a meeting of the parents <laughs> I, at like i guess chaz's house to, i don't know what they talked about like i guess we just paid for gas you know and, and hotels with whatever we made right so but, it was just like if it was safe enough to like i think they pretty much realized we were pretty responsible like cameron and i weren't even getting drunk like we were just like pretty straight we were just into playing together until we were like you know 17 and 18 probably right yeah started getting I, I think the situation's exciting enough when you're i mean it, it, it's nice when that's the case as an adult too but when you're a kid and just the idea of playing shows mm-hmm. is super exciting and that's like something that i think is like easy to lose a little bit with time where you know they start to feel like certain shows will run together but kind of mm-hmm. try to keep that in mind or like remember when when it was so fresh and so exciting just to be doing it and you didn't have well to i'm glad looking back like i'm glad that i think for cameron too correct me if i'm wrong but like we like we're just into the music at first so we got pretty proficient, like technically, and then started doing drugs and stuff and getting whoa, drunk. Whoa, whoa. Well, I mean, like, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? Right. So yeah. we already were like proficient enough, then we could get weird. You know what I'm saying? And there's something to be said about when you're when you're that age. I think you probably have maybe even more boredom on your hands than when you're and you there's like sometimes that boredom helps you be constructive and like lean into like all right we had had nothing else to do we were getting together every saturday you know i mean it was the funnest thing around to do but you know we're you don't got shit to do at 16 or whatever years old yeah i think i played well i i feel like in high school like during that period i was i've played more than i've ever played in life like Mm-hmm. Every day after school, playing for hours, uh, just mm-hmm. trying to do that. And then, like, we had, like, scheduled band practice from, like, 
every Saturday from yeah, 10 like, to like four or something. <laughs> Looking back, like, dude, you're late. Like, I'd walk in late, which weirdly, those were some of the best jams, like y'all three. I'd come in late and be like, oh my God, like, let me get in on that, you know? But right. we were like, dude, it's 11 o'clock or whatever, dude. <laughs> Where were y'all, were y'all practicing at? Oh, whose house were you at when you were practicing back then? My, my mom's house. That um, same spot had, above the garage? Yeah, that was like, that was my bedroom. It was like, I mean, honestly, to this day, it's like the, the dopest room I've ever had in my life. <laughs> it is a pretty yeah. small room. I didn't know you lived in it. I thought it was just a music space, but I know at that age, they blend uh, together the bedrooms and the music space, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, fortunately, my mom was nice enough to let me like keep playing drums up in that room and have band practice every week. Um, I know. Imagine how loud that was. Right. I like. I'm annoyed by drums at this point. So I, I like. She was putting herself through school at the time. <laughs> like, like I have an exam tomorrow. I'm like, well, I need to learn this song because. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I imagine Paul and Jan were dealing with some racket there, too. No, know? I was... Well, yeah. I mean, I don't really remember, like, playing loud, you know? Yeah, like, I, I was it makes always, a difference, like, the drums and whether it's full band, you know? You can turn the amp yeah, down if for you're not sure. competing with anybody, you know? For sure. Right. I mean, like, in college, we were with Dane and I you know we were pretty loud in that house here and there well, was one thing that kind of trips me up about you in particular dylan is that like and this is with anybody who's who did this but you know most people who are that involved in music or in that passionate about it aren't also doing like a lot of sports Cam was kind of that way too. Cam played a bunch. Cam is like in high school. Cam likes to think has been quoted as saying he's a sports guy who also mm. loves playing bass. So I mean, he mm. maybe he's in the same category, but at least the rumors have it that you were kind of like a pretty badass baseball player on top of all of your uh, guitar playing. But maybe you're well. I correct still me if I'm love, wrong, but your reputation precedes you. No, I love baseball and basketball as sports you know the culture just surrounding them even more so just growing older and looking back i mean i was just bummed at the culture a lot of the ways that you know i was getting raised in and baseball was a really just some gnarly just vibes you know what i mean but i still love the sport right but it's just you know especially that age like I just related to the musicians so much more on a personal level, you know, and just that both culture, you know, just everything, everything is accepted. And then just looking back, that sports culture of the team culture, like putting things in categories and you versus me, you know, it's just so bad. I think that's what we're seeing in the country. Right. Yep. Team sports mentality is so fucking gross so i mean i still love like keith and i are up here watching basketball every night but we're not yelling at the tv you feel me right yeah <laughs> taking it as serious as it needs to be taken which is not very right. um, i just love like 
the human like athlete, you know, is incredible what people's bodies can do. You know, yeah. I've always thought that. I, I witnessed, or I was, I guess, a part of my first, like, I'd never really been, I've never been passionate enough about sports to, like, have, like, a moment where I remember being, like, super excited about something that happened sports-related, but I was mm-hmm. I was in a bar one time after, or it was with Cam and Brenton and a few other people, we had played at Fall for Greenville, this festival they mm-hmm. have downtown and then we we went to a bar and i i don't even I, I guess i'm saying it's a sports moment i don't even really remember i think it was when usc was playing georgia and they won did that happen or am mm-hmm. i misremembering did that happen like a year or two ago like a big uh, upset? yeah probably but anyways it was uh. the first time i was in the group of like everybody just freaked out and i was like got swept mm. up in it and was like, yeah, I was like, I get it now. That's, oh, yeah. that's what it is. It's like that dopamine release of like group excitement mm-hmm. and, you know, bonding over it. But I love the Super Bowl parties. That's true. Yeah. I love, I love the food culture surrounding. Football. Hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, I'm in it for that too. I'm the guy who comes to the shrimp boil that they have for whatever game. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just there for the shrimp, you know, but and the chit chat, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah. So you know, speaking of like feeling out of place within, you know, some of the the aspects of sports culture that you grew up in, like just not mm-hmm. jiving with it in general. Do you feel like you guys, like growing up in Blythewood and in the Northeast, like? I know you obviously had Chaz and Patrick and the people you were playing with to kind of bond over and have a lot of shared interest with, but did you feel like there were a lot of people like that around? Did you have like a pretty good group of friends who you could relate to, or did you feel a little bit more like uh, outsiders in that regard? Like where I don't really have a feel for what it was like growing up in that area. I'd say it was, I, I mean, there's aspects of both of that. Like, I mean, the generation—not even generation—like the all of our, my older brother really, and like um, the whole like fork and spoon crew that like were a little bit older than us. Like, I almost feel like not like, paved the way. That sounds a little bit too um, intense, but like it. I mean, not to get too serious here, but like a lot of the read, like a, a, there was a lot of people surrounding um, Aaron. Like that's how Chris started hanging out with Aaron a lot. And that's how everybody met Chaz. And then there was, there was a big group like, um, like Chaz and Patrick and then Patrick knew trip from say brother. And like, there was like this weird, like, yeah, like, wow. lar- a larger group of sort of, alternative-ish people, if you will, that mm-hmm. were in the Blythewood and Northeast area in that era. Um, which So that was nice to have. And I, I feel like not until later did I realize like how special it was to have that many people who mm-hmm. were kind of not like super involved with uh, what was going on in like suburban, like rural south carolina kind of vibe like it was it i I, not that i took it i don't think either of us i mean 
forgive me, Dylan, if I'm speaking for you, but like, I don't think we I, either of us took it uh, took it for granted. But like, it was no, yeah. It's looking back, surprising. Like, mm-hmm. It was amazing to have just like because we all loved each other too. It was like we all respected each other's shit, whatever they were doing, and then loved each other, our friends. You know, we had a really good little group in high school and early college era yeah like i mean like sam spina and like, yeah these great like, creatives right there was a lot of really creative really kind people that came yeah that. i remember trip and i were hanging out at the wig one night and he's like hey, i don't know man there's like something to water or something man <laughs> <laughs> But he uh, he has the vibe too, you know. Like he's he loves his friends, and we all love each other. And and like him and Zach, like playing guitar, like to this day, just makes me feel like so good. You know, it's just like a home because they really are both so good. Like it right, just makes you feel so proud or something. Like they're just like, God damn, they can really play, and I like them. Well, and they're kind of like. Mm-hmm. One way that they're sort of kindred spirits to you guys is that they they have that similar like long relationship of playing together, which is just like right, right. there's you know you know everybody's as good as they are on their own, but there's something to be said about that you can't really you just it's it can only happen with years and years and years of playing together like that sort of mm-hmm. just almost finishing each other's thoughts musically, which. It's kind of how I we were. That's why I wanted to have you guys on together, you know, because I think you guys have like are both really accomplished on your own. But it is a really beautiful thing the like long term musical relationship you guys have had, and that it's not like you know you hear a lot of like long term like rhythm sections, like a bass player and a a drummer. But I don't feel like I know a ton that are like primarily guitar and drums that have like spent you know, almost the bulk of their musical arc together, you know? Yeah, yeah weird cool. last ones left there. So. <laughs> it's a weird combo. I feel like we struggled with uh, a drummer and a lead guitar. Lead guitar player can only do so much together. Right. We're both people that lean on other people. For yeah, we always were like supplementing with friends and and then it was really interesting here when I started playing bass like two years ago and then playing as a rhythm section was really fun and a new yeah. thing for us both, I think. Yeah, for sure. And that but was, I was going to say something else. I can't remember, though. Go ahead, Dylan. Well, I was just going to say, yeah, it was pretty cool when you started taking up bass at uh, the Washed Out gigs, too, because at that time it seemed like Cameron's uh, setup had gotten like a little yeah. bit more expansive because he had like a that huge, oh know, right, that huge like board of pads, but like that like wooden looking thing mm-hmm. that looks incredible. So his setup was like grew a little bit, but then you also were all over the place: guitar on one song, bass on another, pads <laughs> or keys. Like it, it made it exciting because it was like a lot of instrumentation, but with everybody just like having to switch gears a lot throughout it so it was kind of mm-hmm. visually impressive to just watch you two like run all over the place you know oh uh, i know what i was gonna say it pertains to like mike and zach 
Yeah. Trip of France. Uh, the I think like it gets really interesting. Like with Cameron and I, also is like if you can get to a point like you're familiar with each other, like musically too, but it's just so much less ego. You know, like I don't have any ego. Like you know what I'm saying? Like that doesn't get in the way when we're like playing together, making parts or right. I mean, at a certain yeah, point, you two kind of already know that you really like each other as players, so there's not really any sense right. in getting wrapped up in ego. You've already impressed each other, you know? That's just so gone, or, you, or we try, or I try to make it be, so then there's just, like, nothing in the way of whatever you're creating, you know? Yeah, man. That's a pretty... I mean, that's, like, a pretty great thing to strive for. Um, and going back to what you were saying about, you know, uh, Trip and Zach and just like the fork and spoon scene I feel like I mean I can only mm-hmm. assume Aaron Aaron's always been like particularly aware of like the value of community and friendship and yeah. incorporates it into his lyrics and in I mean you can't you if you've ever met him that's the like vibe he puts out immediately it was, it was just mm-hmm. always super welcoming and you know friendly which I feel like if that's the you know, the basically the older brother crowd that's helping you guys, like, you know, kind of, like you said, pave the road a little bit locally at least, at least making it where things are happening already, shows are stirring up and whatnot. Like, it's, it's different, you know, some people grow up on the outskirts of scenes that are super uninviting, so it it's pretty cool that Aaron and Chris and yeah, Chaz well, were the people, you know, it's just that you got good guys and good and good people who are involved which is i mean that's amazing yeah it's weird like when i'm when i first moved to atlanta like and to not like i I definitely there's a there's a lot of people that i really got to be like you know like fairly good friends with in atlanta that were in the music scene there um but like i almost like expected the same sort of vibe from musicians everywhere and like even like those like little tours we would do in high school it was like really bizarre to find like musicians and other scenes if you will that are like that there is that like ego thing of like oh man like look how cool i am look at my stage wear and blah blah, blah. i'm just like I, it was it was shocking that like it was part of that realization that I mean, I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way that, you know, their upbringing, like the people they were surrounded with, like, oh, no, it's different. But like, it it made me realize how special that was to me, at least, of having that like really positive community around you and being really accepting and being really like, you know, encouraging your friends to pursue what makes them happy and what they're good at and, mm-hmm. you know. Well, I think you're right. Um, Atlanta, in particular, I think, is notorious for being a hard one to break into. I know people who have been bands that are like great bands based out of Atlanta, and they've broken into like their subsect of the scene. But the scene as a whole is very disjointed. It's not like there's, it's kind of like pockets, you know, as opposed to like there's pretty much kind of one scene here. You know what I mean? But. Right. But there's I mean, also one club as opposed to I mean Atlanta's a, it's a different world, but it it is like I think it's known within the 
you know, the DIY touring world is not being particularly easy to get like a strong foothold in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think part of that is definitely being, like you said, like a lot, oh, you know, like a quote unquote larger city. And then like on top of that being like the sort of city in the Southeast, at least, um, or at least the one people are thinking of even yeah. more so now that it's, it's more so on people's radar than ever. Yeah. Um, but like, I don't know. I was really like, it's a bummer. Cause it's just like, Oh man, like, why, why would you guys not be encouraging and ex- like, like accepting, like, I don't know. Well, that's one of the perks um, would, that you can easily overlook about a place like Columbia is that, you know, it's kind of a, I mean, it's the capital of South Carolina, yet it still feels like a small town. Like, it does not feel like a city to me in any way, but, so then you get the luxury of, like, every, you know, most of the time, at least, the luxury that everybody kind of knows everybody, so it's, uh, it does feel much more communal here, but. You know, I guess in a place like Atlanta, there's there's no shortage of bands to see on any night, so it's easier for them to not be as connected. Um, but yeah, I was gonna say earlier when you were talking about like being a group of people playing or being a band and coming up with a name, I feel like for me at least the difference was always like, well, we played New Brooklyn, so like it's a band now, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. New Brooklyn's kind of been a staple for a lot of people. I, I always think about how it would have been different growing up in Columbia because I made it up here a bit growing up, but it's a very different vibe here from where I grew up. I feel like there's things... Like we didn't have anybody around to... We didn't have our Aaron's and Chris's. You know, we we had, like, the two or three friends who also cared about music and wanted to figure out what sounds like a make on a guitar but that was we always got out of town like we grew up playing i played atlanta several times before i played you know columbia or any of the bigger places in south carolina just having my brother's 11 years older than me so he was kind of already involved in the music scene there and would book us shows and stuff when we were like 15 and 16 so we were in ways, I felt like I kind of got a little bit acquainted with the Atlanta scene early, but even then, it was like I just had a, a big brother who was looking out for me. I didn't know anybody there, and but then you moved to Columbia, and it's like, oh, like I thought there were no bands here really when I moved here because I just didn't know anybody yet. And then I met Aaron and realized, oh, okay, <laughs> here's the common thread. Like he's, you know, they're all there's. I mean, there's just not really. It's like the least pretentious town in regards to like accepting other people's art and stuff. Everybody's kind of even playing field around here as far as at least accessibility and whatnot. Right. Like, I mean, everybody kind of, you get a chance and you're not forgiven, but it's just like, uh, it's, I don't know. I just, there's a lot of positivity around that community, at least the the one that I feel like I was part of um, growing up. Do you guys remember, like, because I know that you guys were playing with Heist long enough to, you know, get some bands that you pretty regularly shared a bill with. Were there any bands, like, from that era that stand out as particularly, like, memorable that you guys shared a bill with back then when you were still kids playing? 
Like other like than the local Columbia ones. Bands? No, I mean more like I uh, guess more so because I know which ones you guys kind of love around here. But like of the bands that weren't from the same, uh, from bands from other scenes, whether it be Atlanta or you know up the East Coast. Schooner's probably the the main one. This this group in North Carolina that was old, this older, a little bit older than us, and they were like a pop rock group, and they were really great. Schooner. Yeah, I it's like the Temple Hitler. Yeah, I forget what that town was called. Carborough area. Yeah. We play with them and Cat Cradle Gym. Nice. Am I? Yeah, and then there's. I know there's some more. I'm not thinking of right now. We, we played with Balkans a couple times from Atlanta, and they're Bal- still. Oh yeah, yeah. They're still doing stuff like um, Frankie is doing Omni, and then Frankie uh, was in Deer Hunter for a minute, right? Yeah. He played guitar on that for Monomania. Like two hours. Yeah, yeah. And then toured with him for a while. But. Yeah, Balkans were, were great. I didn't know about them until uh, mm-hmm. Dane turned me on to them, you know, probably eight mm-hmm. years ago or whatever. But it, they were they were like kid, they were kids, man, and they sounded pretty fucking great to just. I mean, I think that mm-hmm. that's why I think of Balkans. I, was, I will, you know, in the interest of transparency, it was totally hoping Balkans would come up because I feel like they're like they're a band that makes me think of Heist and that they were wise beyond their years musically in the sense that they didn't sound like 15 year olds but I feel like the mm-hmm. that you that like well I don't know if it's like just being like a frustrated kid or whatever but I feel like both projects had like benefited from you guys being so young and that there was like some energy to it that I think would be hard to replicate if you weren't like a, you know, a high schooler who was kind of whatever. Angsty. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Especially Balkans. Actually, I mean, Balkans is like, it sounds like just like really pissed off, slightly more uh, dissonant strokes or something, you know? Well, that's mm-hmm. what I was going to say. I feel like both, I mean, both bands, like, 100% was, like, when the first Strokes record came out, it was just like, oh, cool, well, that's, like, that's everything now. <laughs> well, you guys, mm-hmm. you guys would have been, how old would you have been when the Strokes played in Five Points? You know that shit happened, right? Oh, I wouldn't, I wasn't around then. I mean, I was around, but, like, I didn't, I wasn't even aware of that. I've just heard about it through, that's- like, local, you know, music nerds, but, like, Apparently, I think it's where the about saloon them, like, was, like right around the corner from group therapy and stuff. Like, right, is this it? I think had come out in Europe, but it so it was like already blowing up, but it hadn't been released here yet. And they played. Uh-huh. I want to say it's where the saloon is, which is a bar none of us would have ever been in. But I know you're probably familiar with the area. You know, right up near yeah. the corner there, and where the uh, post office is and everything. But it's crazy to think about strokes in the is this it era playing in five points you know right but i guess y'all would have been yeah. I mean, that's like 2000 early 2000 so y'all would have been really young yeah like i think 2001 or something is when that record came out right yeah so what you later like, i think you're right or, or at least like not far off so you guys would have been like in sixth grade or something i was right yeah super young so too young to go to a bar and see. We, we, had, we had to wait two years before we started going to bars and seeing shows. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's wild to think about just the places that you're at at that age just because, 
you know, you're there to play music, but otherwise you probably wouldn't be allowed in. Right. Art we had bar, to leave we uh, the art bar. Yeah. <laughs> they kicked us out. I was like, we would sell the venue out and then be like, all right, y'all got, you got to go. That's wild. <laughs> Fuck you, dude. Somehow, like, I won't mention any names, but like, that's everyone else seemed to not realize we were underage except for the art bar. Yeah, yeah. there was this bar called, um, let's call it the Fig. Um, that we <laughs> yeah. all started I, drinking I at. Save, and then, like, somebody <laughs> had like a 21st birthday party there, and the people were, were like, What? <laughs> <laughs> I've been serving you for three years. Mm-hmm. Well, the. To speak to the fig's credit, I tried to get into the fig at like 18 to see a show that you got, at least Dylan and Dame were playing. I want to say it might have been with Brian Bush, but you guys were opening for a friend of ours band called Yardwork that we had already played with Mm -hmm. up in Atlanta. uh, I mean, I love that band. Bo White is incredible and Thomas... um, but I tried to get in, and they just they they rejected me at the door. It was right after I moved to Columbia. But it's crazy to think about because, yeah, I know, mean they're super responsible, law-abiding oh, yeah. establishment. Yeah, but if you true. think about it, like I would have met you guys, or at least seen you guys, and especially Dane, like three or four years sooner than I met her, if I had been let into that show. I didn't know that she was playing right. that until way way later, but. That I mean, that's, that's maybe funny. another testament to how small of a town Columbia really is. Like, you're gonna run into right. each other if you even just kind of like the same stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. But uh, so in college, Heist carried over into college a little bit, right? Oh yeah, it yeah it did. We like we continued to do like little summer tours and stuff, um, for like two weeks at a time when we were not. In school, um, I mean, Chaz is like touring models, like took off some point because they were two years older than us. And then, you know, we just sort of still, we never technically broke up, so technically, we're still a band. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, we're we got another tour booked for uh, seriously, I'm gonna talk to both of them, yeah. Man, I feel like it, it would be <laughs> it would be interesting to just see what would happen with you four in a room, just making yeah, that's something happen. That's all I want to do. Who cares? Like, I mean, it'd be cool to hear the songs that I never saw you guys play, but I I would be much more excited to just hear something you guys worked on that was fresh, just the four of you, not even worrying about the context of because you know you shouldn't be held to like the creative. Like, it shouldn't have to fit the heist mold, considering how removed you all are from what that sound was at this point. Like, it would just be kind of cool to hear you guys, hear where right. where the four of your brains would go now, you know? That's what I'm saying. Like, we've all just, a lot has happened since we've all been in the same room together, period, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, we I can't remember the last time we were all four were together. I mean, it's been a long time now, right? Sure, it's been yeah, some we, wedding somewhere. Well, yeah, I'm yeah. Saying, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but Here, not musically, like, right? Yeah, I'm saying right. we just, we've all like one day a year, you know, for the last ten years. God damn. Yeah, we. Um, I mean, I think the last time we, literally, like the last time we actually played together was 
I want to say um, we played a show with uh, Valley Maker. He like the first Valley Maker album was, or not? I don't know if it was the first one. Technically, shout out, like shout a, out, Austin Crane. Yeah, Austin Crane, that dude. Um, but <clears throat> there was a Valley Maker album release party, and we we played that, and it was one of <laughs> it was around the time when some of us were legally of the age to drink and some of us were old enough to convince people that we had been going to these bars long enough that we were legally of the age to drink. <laughs> and and so you know me, man. I, you know who I, I am. I think, I they think it actually ended up, <laughs> well, it's like, I think it was at New Brooklyn and like, I had been going there for 10 years at that point. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> like, um, but it, I think it ended up being a really bad show. Um, for some reason um but uh we haven't played together since this that's crazy to think about what man. are you talking about i remember only show i remember us getting like too fucked up is like our good friend hardy's brother's like fraternity show like somebody was smoking weed i guess me and chas it was just fell apart <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, like well, I could see how like, get hired. being too stoned at the frat party sounds kind of scary in itself. But then having to oh, play man, music like, too, we, we <laughs> got into some jello shots, and like that was just one of the last shows I remember. For some reason. That's wild to think about that music in that context. <laughs> like, well, nobody like we did it one year, and it was really great, and then. We did it the next year, and like it was really bad. And somebody, you know, they were yelling out like, "Play Dave Matthews covers." <laughs> That's amazing. That kind of vibe, and it just fell apart, and it was hilarious. So, was there? How long was there? Like a period where heist was going on, but like Toro existed. Was that- I was just thinking that that was like right when like something happened, and he was taken off. It was like right then. And- it's kind of obvious, like, us four individuals, like, had four things to do, you know, with with the band. Right. With the heist and the accomplice, you know, or whatever. I don't remember what I was thinking in those days. Like, I just figured we would, us four would just at least be touring, you know, for a while with somebody somewhere. Right. Which is kind of what happened really i mean everybody mm-hmm. there was a while where i was like working in restaurants in charleston and like the other three like traveling the world and i was like bummed out doing bad drugs i, I mean like, y'all need to call me <laughs> yeah, i'm glad that they did man because i feel like it really that's what that's when like the the story picked up picked back up for you and cameron at least and like, cameron how mm-hmm. long were you doing washed out before dylan hopped into I did. I mean, like, I feel like a lot happened, but I think realistically, it couldn't have been more than like a year because I was living, I was still living in Columbia when I first started touring with Washed Out. And then I eventually moved to Atlanta. I mean, at max, I I would say like two years because there was like a lot of variations of the live band of Washed Out before Dylan joined. Um, but Chris, my brother, 
joined um, at the end of the first album cycle for Washed Out, and then Dylan joined for the next album, Paracosm, like the second full length on Sub Pop that he put out. So that would have been like 20... I mean, like, it, it, it couldn't have been more than two years. Was that the first time you'd really spent much time outside of the country when, when you first hopped in with Ernest? Yeah, 100%. It was, I, like, I signed on for, I not physically signed on, but, like, I I was supposed to go to, um, like, I, so I had, <clears throat> I mean, I pretty much dropped out of school because I was supposed to, I went to go register for classes, but... I was going to have to like pay out of pocket for classes that semester. And I was like, I don't fucking know what I'm doing anyway. So like, um, I'll just take the semester off. And then I got in touch with Ernest cause Chaz, uh, like I saw Chaz, he was in town, like in between the tour or something. I was like, Hey, did Ernest call you? Like he needs a drummer and I gave him your number. So I, um, I did like a two week tour with him opening for Yesayer and then at the end of that tour, like, I suppose it was like sort of like a trial run kind of thing. Cause we didn't really, I had met him, but we had, we didn't really know each other that well. Um, but then he was like, Hey, so like next month we're going to Australia. Do you want to go to Australia? I was like, uh, yeah, 100%. I'll totally <laughs> go, dude. <laughs> where that two week tour, where did you go on it? The one with the ACA? Um, it was it was still like all on not the east coast but like um we we went all through florida i know we played atlanta um i think we played north carolina um we played somewhere in indianapolis maybe um through tennessee like we didn't go too much outside of the southeast so it wasn't a ton of stuff I hadn't seen. Right. Um, but well, at this point, from, what, what I, size venues are we talking? Like, was this, cause I mean, this is still pretty early on. Yeah. Well, we were opening up for Yesir, So it was around the size that of venues that washed out is currently, or uh, okay, was cool. previously headlining. Like, um, I mean, still like cat's cradle, and Carborough, but like, um, I'm trying to like the the larger spot and the old Masquerade, yeah. And um, I'm trying to think of where else. Like, I mean, like a thousand ish caps. Yeah, that's pretty awesome for your first run with them for it to be rooms of that size. And so, yeah, it was so fun. Australia was it the was first stressful. out of the states gig then, or run? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, Why are you stressed out? Well, just, I mean, it was the first time, like, I had played with other people in Colombia, but it was always, like, friends or friends of friends. This was, like, the first, like, it, I mean, mm. now, obviously, we're friends, but it was, like, it, it felt like, it was the first time I felt like I, like, there was something to prove. I mean, by no means, right, there was by no means an audition, but it was, like, it felt businessy like it, it and it oh. even still does like where it's like right hired for a job kind of thing and like i mean we're it's all 
it's all good, but like it's like it was it was set up as a a business transaction very early on. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it's a big step for you, you know, to be you know hitting it that hard again. I mean, I know that Heist was touring a good bit, but you weren't playing you know, the same rooms that Yesayer would have been playing necessarily. So it was like, a, you know, it's just a the next phase, trying to make a good impression, you know. Um, yeah, well, and then there was like a whole another added layer of like, I had never, I had practiced like metronomes and stuff, but I had never played like click tracks with backing tracks and like, you know, like done things live that required more than like, oh, you didn't mic that guitar, whatever, we'll just turn it up. It's cool. <laughs> like, Did those first tours feel um, kind of like almost educational and what it, you know, just as far as like just way different scene for you to be playing in and like you were saying, learning all these new things? Um, yes and no. I mean, there there was um, part, I, I definitely think I probably absorbed some information that is useful to me now but um uh not to uh tell uh tell too much about myself but it was like the first time i was like making i mean making more money than i would have working at a restaurant at home and traveling the country and and like so there was a lot of uh hanging out late and partying. Right, right, right. If you can call it educational, social education. I mean, you're learning. Yeah, exactly. You're learning what it's like to be a full-time musician as opposed to working a day job and gigging as much as you can. I mean, there's just ins and outs to making that work, you know. Um, For sure. So when, when Dylan joined the band, I mean... I can. I feel like that's a pretty cool. Like you, you, you start seeing all these places before Dylan joins, but by the time he's there, then you can start experiencing it with someone that you, you know, with a close friend. And I mean, I just can. That seems like. The, well, then your brother. I guess you were already experiencing it with Chris, which is pretty great. But having yeah, Chris just, joined the, at the. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say yeah. I mean, like having. A little bit of home with you when you're seeing the world seems pretty incredible. Yeah, and it, it was awesome too. Like Chris joined at the end of the first full length album cycle um, within and without. And so that was nice to have like my brother. And that's, I mean, honestly, that was the most we had ever played together was those, you know, those couple tours before Dylan joined. And then when Dylan joined, it was just like, it was almost like it was a weird combination. Like I feel like I grew up with my brother and then I learned how to play music with a bunch of people with Dylan. And then those things kind of combined. Um, but it was, I mean, to your point of like having, you know, close people and like kind of a family vibe, like it was nice because there very much so is a family vibe or like at the, especially at that point with washed out. Cause like Ernest's sister was tour managing and his wife toured with us at that time, Blair. And like, you know, like it was the brief period where there was a married couple and then me and 
this guy, Lightning Ray Jackson. He's <laughs> a great musician in Atlanta. Um, like, I mean, we, we got along great and it was fun, but it was like, there was a weird moment of like, two dudes that met through a band touring with a married couple. <laughs> like, so it was nice to have like your best friend and your brother with you for for those those tours especially when they get you know because they're long and you don't get to sleep shout out lightning ray though shout out joel yeah Yeah. i just recorded a christmas song with him so check that one out (laughs) yeah definitely will so dylan you you joined the band and i guess similarly you're seeing the world for the first time right yeah Mm -hmm. so how old were you when you when you jumped in to washed out uh, it was probably 2013, so 24, whatever. Nice. Yeah. I mean, so I know when you're traveling, a lot of these places, you're really just seeing them for, you know, less than 24 hours or whatever. But do you feel like there's any, like, really standout places that you've been able to see together or, you know, just places yeah. that. I mean, every day, you know, it's just amazing to have the vibe of like you know we're not we're not like on a work trip or a you know we're just chilling in the daytime and just have sound check in the show so it was just so nice to go just look around and have no schedule everywhere you know yeah well there's some places where you got to have uh, like a few days you know um yeah that happened on occasion like we'd have a gap in shows or something and Ernest was really good about suggesting little things to do like touristy things that were fun you know in on the days off that we had and if we were close to a really great place like we would make a stopover for two or three days to shop in like somewhere good in asia or brazil's was is one of my favorites just vibe wise and the beach and everything yeah that was one of the prettiest shows we ever played was like on the rock out in that famous beach. Take a trolley out to it and look back out at the city, you know, when the lights come on and the sun's going down and all that. That's probably the prettiest show we ever played. Have you, are there any places that you're like dying to see that you haven't had a chance to get to? What? Yeah, I want to play Red Rocks. Okay. That would be pretty cool. But what about like, yeah, like outside of playing music, like just places that you would? Oh meet? yeah, I, I missed out on Australia. They all went to Australia before I got there. Yeah, I feel like that would be pretty wild to see. I'd love to spend some time in New Zealand too. Cameron's been fucking everywhere though. He's ask him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What stands out to you, Cameron? Where Where do you? You know, I feel like now is um, an easy time to be nostalgic because we're all stuck at home. But might as well lean into right. it. Right? Yeah. Um, New Zealand was we. I, I mean, that was a really. We did a tour that was like um, I forget what it's called. Uh, oh, uh, it's Landway. That's what it's called, and it's like this um, traveling festival thing all throughout Australia, New Zealand, and Singapore. And so fortunately, Washed Out and Tori and Moi were both on that tour. So it was before my brother had joined Washed Out. 
but I Patrick and Chaz and Andy, um, and I think was Pat Jones there. I mean, I, I we had a bunch of friends. Like it was, I had friends on that trip, so it didn't feel like not that it was ever lonely, but like I I had friends on that trip. But Australia was beautiful, and we got to do. Um, we all got to hang out in New Zealand for a couple days, and that was like really really beautiful but then i was gonna say earlier at the the same time like to your point where you're like you you kind of keep on a weird schedule or like you you do get like dylan was talking about in brazil we got to catch this like really cool sunrise because we played a really late set but the example i always use is like uh like I've been to Paris, like I don't know how many times, and I've never seen the Eiffel Tower. And not that it's like this huge thing that I want to see, but like it's weird to go to all these places and not really have time, unless it kind of works out to where you don't have a show the next day and you don't like. Oh yeah, I've been all these places, but like not really. I just was in a dingy basement with grime all over it, and then didn't sleep a lot, and then drove away. Right. Yeah, that's why I think those days, the times when you do have like a couple days, it makes all the difference in the world to mm-hmm. actually be able to look around. Yeah, that was a cool thing about that Australian tour was like, I mean, I definitely, t- I mean, maybe took it for granted at the time, but like, it was a bunch of people like in similar situations as myself traveling around Australia being paid for it and like you would get like three days in each city which is just like unheard of for a tour for a band at that level kind of thing that Um, sounds pretty pretty luxurious it was pretty luxurious uh that that festival has uh since failed they um i don't think they had the money to support doing that (laughs) (laughs) yeah well at least you guys Got to experience it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad I did. Dylan, this one's kind of this is kind of like a definitely like a, a little bit off topic, but were you you know feel like I always think of you as having like a pretty uh, pretty dialed in fashion sense and and highly appreciative of like fashion and the culture around it was that happening like before you were seeing the world do you feel like or do you think that you oh yeah kind of gleaned some of that on the road no i've always been interested in clothes at least yeah but just that was my favorite part of traveling was just shopping like in bazaars and stuff with just walls of old levi's you know for like so cheap and old army like surplus stuff from like all over the world cheaply it was just so fun you know to rummage through like just those thrift store like bazaars with just just piles of Levi's you know you can't even just they're from every era so that was just super highlight for me yeah and I mean I just can imagine that you're just, it's so different from, it's kind of like when you leave the East Coast 
everything looks so different because there's not pine mm-hmm. trees everywhere, but the fashion equivalent mm-hmm. of that, you know, it's just a, you're not well, seeing it's just Sky funny, Harvey like, shirts everywhere. Well, just since the internet, just at least a certain level of, of fashion is ultimately homogenized in the things they aspire to and are influenced by, you know, so like all over the world's like looking towards New York City a lot of the time or whatever Gucci's doing which mirrors what Americana and stuff, you know, so it's that's a really interesting way to look at the globe in that way, you know, it's just because it's who's influencing who and who's doing it right now, you know, Milan and New York and just the major people are always looking towards, at least recently, like American culture, like good genes and all that. So it's just really cool to shop for that kind of stuff, you know, and get just inspired to clarify, by shops. Just to clarify, Dylan, you, you don't mean that American people have good jeans, G-E. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean like old, you know, Levi's, just the classic like ideal American style. Right. right. You know what I'm saying? Like almost Western, like Americana, like plaid, yeah. boots. Do you have a favorite you know uh, piece that you've picked up like out of the country? Um, I had these really amazing like Japanese pants that fit this girl I was seeing really well. And then unfortunately it, it went really sour with her and I had already given her these pants. And I really wanted to ask for him back, but I didn't. <laughs> oh man, this is a tragic. But that story. was a really good. <laughs> I know that those were some really good pants. Though they were, I've never seen anything like them. Just super heavy cotton, waxed. You know, that was a good one. And I've just got so many Levi's. You know, for five dollars, wherever the nineteen seventies, just so soft. Yeah, that's probably the best stuff. Nice, nice. I'm glad I got Oh, I got a uh, one really good thing just quickly was like yeah. uh, one time we were in Mexico, this artsy town. Um, what's it called, Cameron? With like the bull ring where guys. I know, I just looked it up the other day. I can't think of it. Um, uh, um, damn it. Shit. There's anywhere, there's this little town in Mexico that's like real pretty artsy, a lot of expats. What was the question? Sorry. I'm, I'm gonna... <laughs> I was just picking oh, your oh, brain about your favorite this... pieces, man. No, no. I found this really, like, amazing all-leather, like, handcrafted backpack. It was, like, $20. You know, it smelled like a horse barn that I gave to my mom eventually just because she loved it, and it was really just cool. Nice. That Great. was a good one. But I'm going to remember that town. The name of that town starts with the S, maybe. Sinaloa? No. Ah. San Miguel. There we go. All right. We've gotten to the bottom of the mystery. That was one of my favorite places to visit and shop and shit, too. That was incredible. We um we watched the sun. Like, there, somehow we, like... So... <laughs> We played in a literally like a, a bullpen, right? But there was some weird like the like like some cartel thing like held the promoter 
like not hostage, but pretty much held them hostage to get more money. And we were kind of locked in to the venue for a little while. And they're like, no, it's cool. Like it happens. Like, just give us a minute. We'll, we'll sort it out. <laughs> okay. Um, but we, the place we were staying was like the, these beautiful, like villas, I guess. I don't know. But like they were overlooking the whole little town and there was this hot tub and it was like, I mean, it was just like a picturesque sunset over this beautiful little Mexican town. And then unfortunately some woman came, Dylan and I were kind of hanging out in one of the many, like we always joke about how we end up in these really romantic situations together. Um, but one of those many situations we've had in this, this woman got in the hot tub and, um, tried to like start talking to us and she was like hey i got some mescaline if you guys want some it's really mellow and she took it and then about 10 minutes later completely fell apart and couldn't like like her husband came and was like yeah we gotta go it's a really really bizarre experience right after seeing like one of the most Mm -hmm. beautiful things i've ever seen yeah what a wild way to interrupt a sunset right (laughs) um yeah. <laughs> so Cameron, do you you played with like a ton of different bands kind of in between washed out stuff, you know, Gringo Star, Generationals and uh is it What's the new that you've been playing with the a newer project that's slipping my mind right now? Is it Honey Harper? Is that what it's called? Yeah, Honey Harper. Yeah. What's the story um, on, on on that? That one's a little new to me. Honey Harper, so that's like one of the few people um, I feel like I really connected with in Atlanta. Um, he was in a band called Mood Rings that I really like. They actually, they toured with Washed Out for a little while uh, and put out a really good record on uh, Mexican Summer, um, but unfortunately broke up. And I think there's like, I don't know, some, some issues between members, which is a bummer. But um Honey Harper is my friend Will's country project, um, which is really cool. Uh, and that's been really fun. And then, um, unfortunately, right when his record came out, his first full length, um, the pandemic hit and shit hit the fan, you know, yeah. and here we are. Yeah. Has he been recording much or anything in the downtime? Yeah. I think he's working on a new record. Um, he was, he had hit me up about both Dylan and I, um, like that's actually one of the dudes that like kind of noticed and appreciated the sort of musical bond, if you will, that Dylan and I have, um, and was really trying to make something work. And it just unfortunately as of yet has not worked out. Um, but, um, he's, he's definitely working on new music, and um, his his first record's really really good. We got to play a couple shows. Um, we actually played the show we played in New York was at Mercury Lounge, which is one of the first places that the Heist played in New York, and we were all stoked because it like we thought it was it was like the biggest place we'd ever played. And then I went back there not too long ago, and I was like, wow, this place is like it's by no means a dump, but like. <laughs> It's weird that I was excited to be here. 
Well, you know, the new Brooklyn sized venues in New York are still like, you know, at that age, they, they're pretty big opportunities in, in that city, you know, so it's a big deal. For sure. Yeah, yeah, it was really exciting. We were all like, I think it was the first time we had been anywhere with a green room, um, and that green room was literally a basement. Well, that's we a like, funny story. Too, Cameron, I don't know if you remember this, but I think we figured out like they booked us just because they thought we were a different band and no one showed up for that show. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> That's awesome. I, I remember we were like, hey, man, you know, Albert Hammond Jr.'s played here, man. And then, then we found that out after we were like stoked and like set up to play. That's amazing. Do you guys ever remember being like uh, seeing a flyer or anything where you were billed by the wrong name with the exception it was, of a... It, there was definitely the time when I, you had like three band names on the flyer for WUSC yeah, or whatever it was. I, I think it was just the high. They were looking for a band called The Heist, I think is what it was. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, it happened. Especially when it, it's you get further from home and you realize that those crazy mishaps I remember mishaps being happen. like... I was young, though, you know, and, like, pissed off about that. I was, like, <laughs> I was, like, thought we were big time, you know. Then I was, like, then literally, like, the sound guy stepped out for a minute. And so there was no one in the <laughs> in the audience <laughs> for, like, 30 minutes. Oh, man. Yeah. We, oh, like, talking about being built so wrong, like, we, the, the, the full band name was The Heist and The Accomplice. And it, oh, like, yeah. even through email, would get misspelled so frequently. Like, I think more often than not, it was billed incorrectly. Yeah, I mean, the more words for them to screw up, the easier it is, I suppose. So, but, Right. Yeah, and then Chaz's next project is, I guess they, people spell it right, they just say it wrong all the time, so... Not now, I guess, but you know, definitely early on, it was Emoy or whatever people would say. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. But yeah, so, I mean, one thing I think about with you guys that, like, I hope gets rectified sooner than later is that, you know, I, I think of you guys as, like, this, you know, we keep going back to, like, this musical bond, but there's not as much of it like of a recorded history of that as I would like, you know. So I'm hoping that, you know, maybe sometime in this downtime, you guys find an excuse to put something down together because it's it's kind of wild to think of how long you guys have played together and how little recorded output is available mm-hmm. of you two, you know. I mean, if you go into yeah, like video sure. performances and that stuff, there's plenty. But as far as like, I want to hear more mm-hmm. records that you guys have a touch on. Yeah, yeah, I I'm, think that, that. Sorry, go ahead, Dale. Um, no, you go. I forgot what I was gonna say. <laughs> I I feel like it kind of goes back to that. Like, it it's a weird combo of people that have played together for a long time, in that it's not like a rhythm section or a songwriting team. Like we're we are both people that excel in situations where like collaboration with other people. Um, like, I don't think, I mean like Dylan's written great songs and stuff, but like 
Right. We need a, like a person to be behind is where we both drive really is like, you know, band musicians really. Yeah. We're, um, we're like the, Support. we're a hundred percent grunt workers in, in the band world. Um, and proud of <laughs> That's yeah. right. I mean, there's a rich history to those kind of players, you know, people who've been hired mm-hmm. guns. You know? mm-hmm. I mean, Cameron, I know you just worked on that that Christmas song. Where where is that available? Is it a bandcamp thing? What's Um I think it's it's on Spotify. It's on SoundCloud and well, I don't it might be maybe Apple Music or something. But What's if the name that's of it again? Uh, uh, I forget the name of the song, um, but it's Lightning Ray Jackson. Um, that's uh, that's I did that like a couple, I guess like right before Christmas. Um, he did, I think he does like a Christmas song every year, um, and so we we went and met up in Macon at Capricorn Studios, and I think I mean it was the first time I'd been in a studio in a really long time. And I think same for everybody, just with everything going on. And it was, um, it was super fun though. Um, sort of funny to like, I don't know, maybe I'm approaching middle age that I, uh, am okay with and excited about recording Christmas material, <laughs> but, uh, it was a really fun time. I think it's the song. Well, Macon's kind no, of only a way... town too. It's where Otis Redding's from. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Well, like, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Well, it's just, it was really, I mean, like, Capricorn's, like, the studio we're at, it's where Dwayne Allman recorded this solo for Hey Jude, that, well, like, for the Wilson Pickett version. Okay. So it's like, there's some there's some magic in there for sure. Yeah. So that was, I mean, it was just cool to be there. But speaking of, like, a small town that has had crazy, like, success stories come from it, Macon's a an anomaly sort of but what were you about to say dylan um the only way that we can be cool now that we're older is like not caring if we're cool or not <laughs> yeah that's true yeah i think you guys are pulling it off <laughs> thanks buddy <laughs> thank you dylan well i mean i know that we time, don't care times are nuts and obviously you guys are not playing music as much as you'd like, but is there anything in particular that either of you are excited about project-wise or just ideas that you'd like to try to make happen? I know. I'm excited about Keith writing songs again um, and yeah. being in close proximity to that. Um, outside mm-hmm. of that, our buddy Chad, he plays bass. He's he's getting married. Mm-hmm. I'm excited about that. Nice. About that. Um, oh, yeah. But... I mean, I, I, I'm hopeful that, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty close and uh, everybody's got time on their hands um, and I'm sure reasons to uh, want to have a creative outlet. So hopefully uh, we'll, uh, we'll get some stuff together soon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you all aren't too, too far away in your new cities just so it's still, you know, a realistic idea for you to get together and play some music yeah yeah yeah, yeah. we'll get some like one of these projects will consolidate into something this year you know i'm hoping 
yeah. with Keith and yeah. Cameron and whomever. Oh, this is this is really off subject, um, and uh, I don't know what you expected having a uh, Dylan and I as podcast guest, mm-hmm. Dylan. But uh, um, I heard I was listening to a podcast this morning, and <laughs> it said that apparently podcasters are higher up on the list for um, access to the vaccine because a small percentage of podcasts are news sources and important journalism. So Dylan Dickerson. You want me to recite the news I know? Oh, Do you have, well, Dylan Dickerson, do you have access to the vaccine because you host a podcast? (laughs) I think my day job has put me because i'm in the service industry so i think i'm in like 1c or something i'm not too far down the list to be honest so, but we could oh, just start jibber jabbering like... about corona more so that we can claim to be a real news podcast and see if it maybe we'll get eddie a little closer yeah. eddie and i are going <laughs> to split the vaccine we'll do half a dose each each time until we can get i think the that's what thing. they're doing in that's what they're doing in the uk right they're only giving people like one Right, like one uh, half of it to kind of give them like some. Have you? Am, am I making that up? I, I haven't read. I couldn't fact check you. It sounds sounds real though. Is this one of those podcasts where it's fact checked at the end? Not at all. <laughs> okay. Well, in that case, um, <laughs> we can say <laughs> yeah, that's the case. Hard truth. Yeah, I'm I'm actually the most successful drummer of all time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's none. That's why we got you on the show. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> well, man, I'm I'm glad you guys are holding up all right. I've seen Dylan recently, thankfully, but hopefully you'll get a chance to come to town or vice versa so I could see you again, Cameron. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I talked to my brother today, and um, um, it's, I'm, I'm due for a trip to Columbia to see everybody. I mean, not everybody, obviously, but like, I'm due for a trip mean, to Columbia. Man. Maybe you guys yeah. can uh, time it together. You can get a little bit of Dylan and Cameron in the same place. It's been too long since I've seen you two together. It feels weird. Yeah. Yeah, for we sure. need to work out. We need to work out some stuff just in the coming year. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Dylan, just put us on the uh, the payroll for your podcast so we can get access to the vaccine. We can all hang out. Okay, sounds like a plan. <laughs> yeah. The, <laughs> The payroll is just expanded by two. We're setting it in stone. <laughs> yeah, tell your accountant. Yep, yep. Call him up, Eddie. Make it happen. You can pay me in weed. Deal. Deal. Whoa. Hey, hey. We're right, trying uh, to get vaccines here. I don't know. I think we you just worked out chances. Oh. I thought you guys were already aware that that's uh, the only payment option through the podcast, actually. <laughs> better than nothing, though, guys. It's better than nothing. It is. That's significantly better than nothing. Well, guys, thanks for chatting with me. It was good catching up with you, and I'm for excited sure. to to know a little bit more about two guys I've spent a good bit of time with, but never really gotten to chat with like this. Hmm. Yeah, well, it's very nice, a, Dylan. Yeah. yeah, let's have more serious conversations next time we all hang out. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll all do some sort of backyard hang or something in Columbia or wherever, and get to catch up for real. Hopefully, the world will stop for burning sure. for a little while, so we can spend some quality time together yeah hopefully yeah fingers crossed peace peace, love peace love positivity in 2021 
Hell yeah. And onward. Mm-hmm. That's All right. right. All right, guys. Well, I'll talk to y'all soon. Thanks again. Sounds Thanks. good. Thank you, Dylan. See you guys. Bye. 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 This has been a Comfort Monk production. Mm-hmm.